Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today's show is called How to Change Your Story to Change Your Life. Now, maybe you've heard something similar, um, some similar kind of advice and sort of scratched your head, not really sure what that means or whether you could do it. But today's guest, James Swigert, uh, is the perfect one to tell us all how to do that um, because, first of all, he came from an incredibly incre- a, a childhood so devastating that if you saw it in a movie, you probably wouldn't believe that it was true. Um, and he then, through figuring this out, um, is, became and is now a successful executive producer and director in film and television in Hollywood. And he also coaches many celebrities and um, uh, other kinds of creative executives in Hollywood. He's built, run, and sold several multimillion-dollar award-winning production companies. And his book is called If You Say So. You know, at first, James, I must say, I I was a little confused by the title. I was thinking, If You Say So. And then, (laughs) then realizing you know, what um, this is all about um, and what the message is, your passion is to get this message across because it worked for you, um, then, of course, it made total sense. So welcome to the show, first of all. And Thank you very much for having me. Did you, did you ever think about, I'm sure you thought about it, making a, um, a movie of your own life? <laughs> to, to be honest, no, actually, it's funny. I, you would think that that would be an obvious next step, but, but um, I've had incredible success. I've been really blessed with a great life, um, you know, um, in, in, in my industry and have been very successful and continue to be. I still work. I'm very active in, in, in running a production company currently. But I, making a story about it uh, for, for a film, isn't, it wasn't my goal. My goal in writing this book was really to help other people um, and to share the amazing wisdom. I, you know, you had mentioned earlier that I figured this out. I honestly, I would love to take credit for figuring it out, but I didn't. I, I had amazing <laughs> teachers. And, um, and so really the, the intention of this book is I've, I've had an amazing life and career. How can I take all of these things that in the last 30 years of, of working with people and coaching people and mentoring people, how can I take all of these things that I've learned and these kind of metaphors I've used to explain advanced psychological and spiritual concepts and, and condense it down to something very, very simple uh, and palatable to leave behind in, in my life. And so that was the, that was the point of this book. And I'm, I'm, so that, that's really kind of what, so if somebody wants to make a movie about my life, um, good luck, because it's, it's pretty complex, as you know, uh, with the book. But uh, that was not my objective. My, my objective here is really just to help people. And, uh, and I, I, I speak all over uh, the country and the world, and, and sometimes I speak for free if people are, you know, uh, don't have budgets and that sort of thing, or underfunded programs or inner city schools. And I, I just speak just to carry this message of, of, of how to change your story uh, in order to find true success and happiness is really what the, the objective is for me. Well, you know, um, but it makes it all the more, um, I don't know, interesting or, or um, it fits um, so much better in that it's not only, I mean, you know, I said you figured it out because, because you, that's what you do in your, as an executive producer and director is make stories. So it just kind of fits with what you do. Well, why don't we start at the beginning and tell us about your, um, what, uh, trouble, challenged life as a child. Sure. Well, essentially, I'm, uh, I was born up in Sacramento, California, to the youngest of uh, seven children. And right after I was born, uh, my father left my mother with seven kids on her own. Uh, so that was obviously uh, challenging, to say the least. <clears throat> and then... 
when I was about seven years old, my mother uh, remarried a man with five children. So there are basically 12 children plus two parents, so 14 of us uh, in a three-bedroom house, essentially, which was pandemonium. <laughs> it was crazy, and uh, wow. there was a lot of alcohol and wait, drug wait, use. Uh, wait, wait. Before we get yeah. to the alcohol and the drugs. Sure. Um, uh, you know, having your father, well, first of all, why did your father leave? Well, know? he's 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 since been deceased, but it was um, I imagine uh, there was drinking had something to do with that. Uh, the frustrations of having a you know being a, a young attorney uh, and 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 he was basically working for my mother's father, who was a state senator at the time. So as you can imagine you're working for your father-in-law. You have seven children. And, um, you know, his own, his own challenges with the bottle, I think it just came to the point where it was just too much for him and he had to, he had to go. And so he essentially had, had, depending on who you talk to, which stories told that he had left my mother for another woman, um, is, is the story that was told in the family. So that was a story that I had uh, growing up. And, and that's, you know, and what did, I had believed, essentially. Did you... Um I mean, that, you know, the timing of that, of course, couldn't be worse because then you, you have to think as you're growing up, you know, did he, did he leave because of me? Like, you know, did he not want me? Um, when I came into the world, was it just uh, too much? You know, he didn't want he, that I made him leave. Sure. You know, it's funny. I, I know there are a lot of people that grow up with that complex, and it wasn't until later in my life, probably when I started to drink at about 12 years of age, that I feel like when, when my mother looked at me knowing that I was drinking and, and drinking alcoholically at a very young age, I think she, looked, she saw my father in me. And, I, and I, in, in her eyes, I don't think she could help but resent me because I reminded her of my father. And so, mm-hmm. you know, essentially, so I think subconsciously, sure, you, you kind of take that on. It's like, well, it's, it was because of me, right? And, 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 mm-hmm. and that... Um, I had, uh, I had, uh, I, I don't think that that voice was, as, or that story was as loud to me as as the other stories of, of being the youngest of this this pack of twelve and being left at gas stations and left at school and left behind and 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 uh. you know, so the stories that came out of those events were you don't matter, you don't count, you're unlovable. You must be, you know, something's uh-huh. wrong, you're broken. And, and so those are the stories that I, when I describe, you know, the, the title of my book, if you say so, the subtitle is my story and how I changed it to save my life. Because these stories that I created out of these events that occurred um, just weren't true. That I'm broken, that I'm unlovable, you know, these, that I'm contaminated, um, you know, and, and all of these things that, that, that I was telling myself just weren't true. You know, and everyone has mm-hmm. is subject to something in life, right? We're all going to be victims of something. Uh, right, but what I didn't right. realize is that I had chose to remain a victim for many, many, many years into my adulthood. And that's when I realized that I met you, some amazing men and realized I needed to change my story, essentially. And did you ever meet your father after he left? I did. I did. I was sent out uh, to the house uh, where he lived with his new wife. And, um, you know, I was sent out on weekends and, and occasionally. And um, we had a kind of a superficial relationship. It was more kind of, it felt a little more obligatory. And, and um, not until my, my late 20s was I able to really connect with him and really connect with him mano a mano. And, and kind of um, until I got clean and sober at the age of 25 was I able to have any kind of mature relationship with my father and, and ultimately, um, you know, we had another falling out and didn't talk for 10 years until, until I, we reconnected on his deathbed and we were able to kind of get flat before he passed. And, uh, um, wow. but yeah, we, you know, we, we were able to, to get to know one another somewhat. So no sooner had, um, had that occurred that he left, you were born, you were born and then he left. Um, and then um, you were abused at seven. Right. Yeah, at the age of seven is when the sexual abuse started for me, and it went um, well until I was, I think, 12 or 13, and I was, I was molested sexually by, several, uh, by a neighbor and by several male and female uh, uh, family members. And, um, 
you know, I was not able to look at that or even talk about that until about five or six years ago uh, when it, when it uh, mm-hmm. came up for me in therapy. But that's when, you know, that, that, and, and that was, I've kept that, I kept that secret for 30 plus years. Huh. So, um, and so that's when, um, that's when, let's see, so it was because, well, I guess it was because of all of it that you turned to alcohol at 12 and drugs. Well, alcohol first, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. When I was 12 and, and, you know, I come from a, of a, a very colorful uh, Irish Catholic family. So alcohol was always around and, and the adults always drank at five o'clock. The liquor came out and, um, you know, so there was always liquor available to us. And so my older teen brothers and sisters, you know, had also turned to their own drugs and alcohol to cope with all of this kind of chaos of merging these two huge families together. And so I discovered it at, at the age of 12, and, and my very first uh, drunk, uh, I drank to excess, drank into a blackout, actually. At my grandma's birthday party, I found out where they were hiding the champagne and snuck in there and... <laughs> My cousin and I uh, just started drinking, and, and once we started, we couldn't stop. And so that was kind of where I found my, I'll call it my medicine, right, temporarily, because that helped me survive my painful childhood. That kind of killed the pain. It, it anesthetized all these horrible feelings I had of, of feeling broken, feeling uh, um, not, being a, not feeling a part of a family, because my next sibling is six years older than I am. So there's quite a spread between oh. myself and, and that, that, uh, my next sibling. And so, you know, they used to joke about the fact that I was a mistake, et cetera, and you weren't planned when oh, yeah. all of the other siblings are all kind of Irish twins, all within, born within, you know, a couple of years of each other. And so, uh, mm. but, the, but the alcohol was, was the first thing I found at 12, and then a couple of years later, I started, you know, smoking marijuana, and then it was to cocaine and, you know, depression and suicide and off to the races, you know, so. So when you, so when you were, um, I had realized that you were molested over a, a period of years like that. Um, did you tell anyone? Uh, I did not. And there were, there were, in, in hindsight, when I was finally able to start talking about it, I was able to look back on these events and realize that there were other uh, siblings who knew about some of the predators in the family. Uh, and it was just kind of accepted and it was even sometimes joked about. Uh, and, mm. um, you know, which is, which, is, which is very saddening. Now, when the neighbor uh, uh, had molested me, I did come home and I told my parents. Um, the peculiar yeah. thing there was... Um, the decision was made. There was a big, there was a big meeting at the, the, the house where it happened, and my friend and his parents and my, his friends and their parents had all come to do this, this group meeting to talk about the event of what had occurred. And I think in an effort, and it, it had happened, uh, the, the neighbor of the house that we were all kind of meeting at, um, who was, he was not in attendance at the meeting, but the decision was made by all these adult men to basically, they, they said if we confront him, he'll just deny it, so the decision was made to do nothing, which is what yeah. really infuriated me. And so it was, and I think it was mainly the, the, the gentleman whose house it was, I think he just wanted to avoid liability. And so the decision was made to do nothing. And so I, I you know, that, that's the story I created out of that event was that adults are not safe. No one's going to protect me. And then I shut down even more and built more walls, right? And so... Uh-huh. Um, not until, you know, fast forward 30 years later when the Penn State, uh, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky event happened, um, and Joe Paterno yeah. had been shielding uh, Jerry Sandusky from this, 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 these horrible, you know, child molestations. When that came into the, the mainstream news, that is what cracked it open for me. I was finally at a point where I could yeah. look at this after all that time and, and pain, right, and mm. having the courage to to actually face it. And that's when I went, oh, my God, wait, I told my parents about this thing, and my parents didn't do anything about it. You know, and that's when I went, wow, my parents were like Joe Paterno. And that's Mm. when the floodgates opened, and that's when I sought out a really amazing therapist to help me walk through, uh, to feel those unfelt feelings, get to the other side, Uh clean out my baggage car, so to speak, and and ultimately get to the forgiveness that 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 I swore I would never have for that man. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, you know, um, parents don't realize, a lot of parents don't realize that um, besides the devastation of the molestation, what they do or don't do uh, has such a profound impact as to, you know, the extent of the, um, the fallout from the molestation. Completely. Yeah, you know, the completely. Psycho- the psychological fallout in the person who was molested. Um, okay, and so we were up to, <laughs> we were up to, and so here you are, I mean, I guess, here you are, um, like you were saying, so you were writing all these different stories as you were a child about, in trying to interpret through the chaos, um, why these, all these different things were happening, right? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I mean, I just, I wasn't writing anything down, so I wasn't really writing them, I was telling these stories to yes. myself, and you know, when I refer to these stories, I put quotations around it, because they're quote-unquote stories, because they're not actually true, right? No one, at least in my belief system, uh, I, no one's broken, right? We are spiritual beings having a human experience, and by, by, by our very nature of being human, we're imperfect, Right, and so uh, we're all as we should be. We just sometimes don't think it or feel it. And so, by telling myself I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm broken, or I'm unlovable, over and over, and these are subconscious stories, right? These are the stories we tell ourselves in the dark. These are the stories we tell ourselves mm-hmm. at night when we're alone and we're sick, you know, or you know, mm-hmm. have a cold or a flu. It's like, oh, I'm you know, I'm broken and I'm always sick. And these these are stories that just aren't true. And so. Um, you know, but when you loop them in your head long enough, you know, I was looping those into adult relationships and, you know, it's hard to find a, a committed monogamous long-term loving relationship when you're constantly saying I'm unlovable and I'm broken, right? Because you, mm-hmm. my behavior will just manifest that. And so that's when I really, you know, I don't want to get ahead of, ahead of ourselves here, but that's when I learned about the power of the spoken word as, uh, you know, Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, the first of the four agreements is be impeccable with your word, never speak against yourself or others, and always speak in the direction of truth and love, you know, and, and mm. that's when, uh, you know, at 25, when I got clean and sober, after all of this tumult and all of this, you know, and a suicide attempt and depression, you know, that's when I realized that I was, A, telling myself stories that weren't true, B, that I could change the story, and, and C, that I could start creating and writing the new story. Okay, well, this is a good place to stop for now. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the story and um, ultimately get to your, um, I guess, your coaching as far as how you, what you, how you coach people to change their story. It's all well and good to know that one should, but how do you do that? So when we come back, we'll hear more from my guest, James Swigert. Again, his book is called If You Say So. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here today with James Swigart. He's the author of If You Say So, um, My Story and How I Changed It to Save My Life. And we're talking about his story and how he, how he did it so that you can then use the same techniques, hopefully, in, to change your own life for the better. So we've been talking about his um, tumultuous, chaotic, uh, devastating uh, childhood. You know, in other words, if this, <laughs> if you're going to test whether this um, theory or this way of, uh, this technique works uh, about changing your story, certainly one could not tr- have it, try it with a, with a better childhood or, you know what I mean, a worse childhood to see whether it works than his. So we are at the point of um, after after molestation and after drugs and alcohol abuse to try to cope with the chaos in the family and so on, um, we got to, I'm not sure what age, when you were so depressed that you um, decided to commit suicide. So at, that was at 25, but, but I guess it was leading up to that. So tell us about that. Sure. No, and, and, and just to recap, you know, talking about the early on with the abandonment, the molest, the incest, the abuse, et cetera, had compounded. And then once I found drugs and alcohol at the age of 12, um, you know, I definitely used and drank alcoholically. And, and during that period of time uh, through high school, um, I was very depressed. It was very, very dark for me. And I had eventually um, written a suicide note uh, my senior year in high school because I was um, diagnosed with chronic ulcerative colitis and my insides had just given out over the stress of this, this you know, traumatic childhood. And uh, essentially, I almost died. I lost about 30 pounds in, in about uh, 30 days, and I was dying. They didn't know what was wrong, and ultimately, it was, I was diagnosed with chronic ulcerative colitis and given a bunch of steroids and a bunch of different types of drugs, um, and, and that brought me back from the brink. Um, and, um, um, but it was a very, very scary, dark time. And I continued to use drugs and alcohol and, and, you know, essentially alcohol being a depressant does not help when one is depressed. Right? So, uh, uh-huh. I was kind of literally compounding, uh, my own misery. And so I had always, uh, while I had written that suicide note, I had never actually, uh, tried to kill myself, but I had these, uh, these suicidal ideations going on because I just thought the world would be a better place. Uh, without me in it, because I just keep, uh, you know, manifesting unhealthy relationships, and and my, my I couldn't stop drinking, and I couldn't stop doing drugs, and and so I had this fantasy of of just you know taking myself out and and just removing myself, you know, and and um, those those fan, the fantasies of of suicide continued uh, well after I got clean and sober as well, um, but but at the age of twenty five was when I actually did. Uh, attempt suicide, and um, that was when I realized that that I'm dead if I don't address my alcohol and drug abuse. And that's when I, I essentially got sober, clean and sober. Um, I have not had drugs or alcohol in my system for over 30 years now. And uh, but that was a pivotal point. Uh, ultimately, what had happened is I had just burnt my life down after being homeless living on the streets of downtown Sacramento in a green nylon sleeping bag. I was one of those young people yeah. with a shaggy beard and scraggly hair, and you're like, that guy's way too young oh, to be homeless. What happened there, you know? And, oh, wow. uh, um, 
and that was me, and that was, you know, and, and uh, I, like I said, I just, I just wanted to die, and that's when I attempted suicide, and I was in a drunken stupor and blackout, and, and I tried to kill myself, and, and because I was so drunk, I was unsuccessful, thank God, but, uh, and what happened was is a what? brother came and found me, and uh, I, I, apparently I had called a sister who called a brother who came and found me that night, and I don't recall making the, making the phone call because I, so, uh, I was so inebriated. But my brother David uh, showed up, found me, and just listened to me. He listened to me blame my dad for leaving, my mom for leaving me for my, the stepkids and, you know, for all the abuse and everything, and ultimately blaming God because I was, I was raised Catholic, so I believed in this God was a damning God and a punishing God. And I, I believed that since I had been such a bad kid that, uh, you know, I had deserved all of what I was getting. And so ultimately, after I got done blaming everyone um, on an inhale, I just gasped. I said, I said, David, I need help. And asking for help was the beginning of the dramatic change in my life. That was when um, things really started to shift for me. And that is when, you know, wait, 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 let's stop there because I have to. Um, uh, first of all, did you get in high school? Did you give anybody your suicide note? No, I kept that to myself. Okay, and uh, because I was thinking, you know, um, since nothing, since you didn't really get help when you asked for it after the molestation by the neighbor, you know, it would be a big leap of faith. Well, actually, it was a big leap of faith when you did ask help for help from your brother, but. It would be a big leap um, giving somebody the suicide note and expecting them to do something. Uh, how did you try to commit suicide? I had uh, I, it, I was looking for a rope. I couldn't find a rope. I was going to hang myself. Um, and then the other ideation was that I would I would slit my wrists, but I didn't have anything sharp at the time. And so um, I was uh, we were squatting in a flat downtown Sacramento, and and there was a there was a tub there. And so what I was trying to do was fill the tub because I'd seen it in a movie where you know the electrical socket going into the tub could could electrocute you mm. if you're, you're in, in the tub. And so that was. That was what I was trying to do, um, and um, what happened was, is I was uh, so drunk, um, and this only came to me later when I when I realized that the the tub I hadn't even put a stopper in the tub, so the tub wasn't even filling with water, and so I was standing there crying, you know, hysterically dramatic moment of 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 being naked, standing there without the tub filling up, and just hysterically yeah. crying that I like I can't even kill myself. You know, I can't even do this right. Wow. And wow. Um, there was just this, you know, I was, I was literally at an emotional bottom of, of you know, just, just incomprehensible demoralization and, and just wanting to die, but I couldn't even, couldn't even make that happen. And so um, then in that, you know, again, I blacked out again. And in that blackout, apparently, I had called a sister uh, who, had, who had called my brother. But that was essentially as low as it goes, you know, when it comes to, to depression of, um, of, you know, and I've subsequently learned a lot about, you know, uh, suicide and suicidal tendencies and suicidal ideations and thoughts. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a tricky one. You know, so many people face this and, and so many people lose loved ones. Um, you know, I buried five people alone this past year who struggled with depression and who ended up taking their own lives. And, mm. you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky one, as you know, doctor. You know, it's, it's, uh, but um, even so, after I got had, clean and so, yeah, go ahead. Well, so um, did your, I mean, surely since you were the youngest, surely your family or your older siblings must have seen that you were struggling. I mean, before it got to this point, um, did anybody try to help you in any way before this? Yes, my bro- some of my older brothers, but you know, keep in mind, they were so much older than me that when I was in grammar school, they were already off to college. So they had all kind mm-hmm. of left town. Um, so none of them were really that close to me. Um, I, in fact, my brother David had left town, but he had come back to go to law school. And so um, they did see one of my, my brother, Danny, and his wife tried to teach me meditation when I was struggling with my ulcerative colitis. Um, they did teach uh-huh. me a style of meditation, but I didn't, I didn't keep it up because um, I just found, found, you know, 
my escape in, in drugs and alcohol. And then my other brother, David, you know, the, he and his wife tried to talk to me because they could see that I was manic and that I was definitely, um, you know, could have appeared as bipolar um, and definitely was struggling with, with drugs and alcohol. But when you're in the throes of your addiction, uh, you tend to want, you tend to push away those people that are actually there trying to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I did that very thing. I ostracized my whole family, and I was really uh, had pushed them all away with my anger, and um, you know, and and so geographically as well as you know, uh, um, literally, you know, pushed my family away so that mm-hmm. I could I could be in my misery. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now David comes and finds you. <laughs> Are you still naked in the bathtub? Uh, no, I had I had passed out. He said he because he tells the story from then on because it was it was pretty it was pretty uh, yeah. uh, it was a blurry blurry dark night for me. But uh, no, what he right. did is he he listened to me. Uh, he listened to me blame everyone and everything. And then finally, when I was just out of breath, you know, and I'd asked him for help, he just he God bless him, he just tucked me in and put me to bed. He said, let's wake up tomorrow. We're going to try to find it. He said, there's a solution to every problem. And so we woke mm-hmm. up and uh, we just started calling numbers um, uh, having to do with alcoholism. We had called the National Alcoholism Council and, um, you know, they had pointed me in the direction of, of a treatment program, which I immediately uh, went to that day. And um, I haven't had a drink since. And essentially the... That was where I was educated on the disease of alcoholism and the disease of addiction, which is which is basically it's the type of disease, you know, as recognized by the American Medical Association, as you know, um, as a as a mental disease as well as a physical disease. Um, that I realized that I had I had to abstain uh, from alcohol in order to have any chance at at recovering, and so that's that was that was what I was able to do early on. Um, and was able to, to eat a lot of sugar because they told me if I was going to stop drinking that, that you know, one of the, the withdrawal symptoms has to do with a lot of the, the cutting off all the sugar from the booze. And so I, I started eating a ton of sugar and um, I didn't really have bad withdrawals, which was good. And uh, was able to just, um, you know, drink a, a lot of water and slowly detox and, and uh um, you know, just just really on a day to day basis, uh, found you know m- mentors and, and there were some uh, adult men that mentored me on on uh, what I needed to do in order to you know stay clean and sober. And um, through that, um, that's when I started to learn about how I could change my story. That my story didn't have to be one of of being broken my entire life, and that I was actually had created all of these little stories based off of those events. Okay, so why don't you take us along that journey? How did you how how did you start learning about that and putting it into practice? Sure, you know, it's essentially it was it wasn't until probably in the last five to six years where I wrote the book and 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 really realized that I was able to boil all of this stuff down into something simple where it's 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 essentially you know. Uh, the universe will give you whatever story you tell it. And when I stopped saying things like, I'm broken, I'm sick all the time, you know, I had to stop saying these things because I was literally just manifesting it. And it's like, if you say so, you know, that's really where it's coming from, right? And, and, and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it's, we all know those people, right? Those people who are, who are negative, cynical, sarcastic. And you know what? I mean, I, <laughs> their cell phone screen's always broken. The car's breaking down. They're late for work. They just, they're, and they're, they're, if you listen to their words, they're the, we're never going to make it. And they're just miserable. And they, 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 they talk like they're miserable. And you can't change your life by just immediately changing your words. However, your life cannot get better if you're continuing to say negative things about yourself and others. And so what I had to do is I had to start changing my language and my words. And that's when I was introduced to, uh, you know, um, Don Miguel Ruiz's Four Agreements. It's a great book. The first of the four agreements, as I mentioned, is be impeccable with your word. And so what I had to do is I had to look at the things that I was saying and I had to start changing what I was saying in addition to doing the work that you do with, with, with your patients. And, you know, I had to go to therapy. I had to work through my issues around molest and incest and all this crazy stuff that happened to me. And, you know, um, I had to go feel those unfelt feelings. 
you know, with someone I trusted. Uh And, um, Uh you know, I had to, what I call, get flat with the universe. I had to clean up my mess because as a drug, drug addict and an alcoholic, you hurt a lot of people. Right. And so what I had to do is, is even though I have a disease, right, and, and, and I did a lot of bad things, I still have to clean up my mess, even though my disease was really doing a lot of those things. Right. You know, the, 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 a lot of that behavior was 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 my disease, because really who I am and who we all are are really beautiful you know, beautiful children of the universe and we are divine and we are children of God and we are, you know, we do have, all have a light within us, you know, and so yes. um, that's yes. who we really are, you know, and so what I had to do is I had to uh, clean up my mess, you know, and that meant going and, and I had to go get flat with my father and I had to go make amends for the things that I did and I had to, I had to, you know, apologize to the people I had hurt and I had to make those, those issues right with them, um, you know, and, and um, you know, just, and it took, I think it took me 16 years to kind of, I had made a list of all the things I needed to kind of clean up and it took me 16 years to check all those boxes over time to pay yeah. everyone back and to, 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 you know, to clean up that mess. But, you know, that's what I call it, clean up your mess, get flat with the universe, which means having no more karmic debt. Right. No more like, you know, there's, there's a, 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 another piece to this. When when I was molested by that neighbor, I had swore that I would never forgive that man. And um, I was holding on to that anger and that rage and that resentment. And when I started writing the book, I had to start looking at this. And when I realized that I had to do something about it. And so what I did is I researched the, the house where he lived and found the background, you know, the owners and, the, and researched and found out that he had actually died in, in 2009. And so, mm. uh, which probably saved me a headache of a big lawsuit and going after him, and et cetera. But what am I going to do now? He's long since been gone, yeah. right? And now I've just got this anger and this rage and this resentment. And so what am I going to do with that? And so that's when I had to really learn about deep-seated forgiveness. And, and, you know, I I told somebody I was working with at the time, my mentor, I said, I can't let this guy off the hook. And he said, it's not about letting that guy off the hook. It's about letting yourself off the hook. Hmm. All right. With that, we need to take another break. Everybody can think about that for a bit. Um, We will be right back. My guest is James Swigert. Again, his book is If You Say So, My Story and How I Changed It to Save My Life. And we're starting to hear all about that. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking with James Swigert. His book is called If You Say So, My Story and How I Changed It to Save My Life. And we're um, we're, we're, we've just started that part. Um, and, um, we were, um, you were talking about how everything changed when you finally asked for help, which of course is also an important point to make. Um, and we're trying, we're talking today how to change your story to change your life. So why don't you continue and, and, I mean, that's, this is sort of the nuts and bolts of it. Like, um, besides the concept, how on a day-to-day basis did you do that? That's a great question, and thank you. Uh, you know, essentially, it, it's, the idea here is that the universe will give you whatever story you tell it. And I found myself, uh, I was fighting these chronic sinus infections and getting really, really sick in the winter, and, and, uh, and I just, I, I, was speaking with my fiance on the phone and I just, I, what came out of my mouth was, God, you know, I was just self-pity and I said, God, I'm always sick, which of course is not true. I'm not mm-hmm. always sick, right? And I was, I'm always sick. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, if you say so, uh-huh. you know, and, 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 it's, and it's, it's really like there have been actual tests done where they are monitoring the brain and when a word is spoken to someone whose brain is being monitored. When a, a negative word like no or stop that, when those words are delivered, our reptile brain floods the brain with fear and anxiety hormones. So it literally goes back to our, our primal instincts of like, oh no. And conversely, when words are delivered like harmony, peace, love, all of a sudden, our prefrontal cortex starts to flood the brain with endorphins and good feeling. And, and, and so it's actually been, <laughs> it's been scientifically proven that positive words have a physical effect. It's, it, it's, it's essentially uh-huh. scientifically proven. And so what I found is, um, and, and you asked a great question. People are like, well, if I just start you know, saying, I feel great, you know, am I going to feel great? Well, you right. will start to feel great if you start to speak in the direction of that. Because, and what I, what I, I work with people uh, who also are struggling with cancer, and I say, stop saying my tumor, my cancer, my chronic blah, blah, blah. Because you're taking ownership of it, and the universe doesn't care. And if you want, you know, again, I'm not here to, I'm not here to convert anybody. I'm just here with this book to try to let people know you have a choice. There is a choice. And, and, and you know, if you look at placebo effect, the power of the brain and what you believe is mighty. And so what I'm trying to get people to do, and, I, and I'll do this in a room where I'll get people to stand up and when I'm doing a workshop and I'll say, follow me right now. Say, I love my life. And then I get them to yell it. I love my life. And you can hear, <laughs> if you try this, if you're in your car right now, you might, people might think you're crazy looking, looking over at you. But if you just scream, I love my life, you literally change the energy inside of you. You change the energy in the car. Mm-hmm. And in, when I had 4,000 people do it uh, in, a, in a huge conference, you change the energy in the room. It's palpable. Yeah. And so the power of the spoken word, and if, if, if anybody needs any more evidence, you can point to, to, to Adolf Hitler used the power of the spoken word for evil and for hate, right? And he almost destroyed a race of people. Mm-hmm. So conversely, what can we do with the power of the spoken word in the direction of truth and love? and self-care, and self-love. And so, you know, getting into these, these what, James, how do you change your story? You know, uh, the first thing you got to do is, is, is I have a five-step process that I walk my people through when I'm, when I'm coaching people, and it has guaranteed results. It's just guaranteed, and I'm going to give it to you free right now. I mean, essentially, it's the key to happiness and success. And, and when we define success, let's talk about what is success. Success is happiness, peace of mind, and always doing your best, right? I mean, that's, you can't do better than your best, right? And so to, in order to achieve true happiness and success, you've got to start with diet and exercise. That's number one, right? We learned that in kindergarten, right? You've got to eat mm-hmm. well. Um, you've got, you know, if you want to try and start for five days, eat five days, unprocessed foods, 
So meats, mm-hmm. cheese, or, or meats, vegetables, fruits, no cheese, no bread. Try that for five days. Unprocessed foods, I guarantee you, because, because processed foods cause inflammation. And especially when you get older, like my, myself, I'm 56 now, I have to be careful about what I put in my body. Exercise, right? Again, we learned that in kindergarten. I have to exercise three times a week at a very minimum one and a half hours. And I've got to break a sweat. I've got to push myself. So diet, so start there. And if you're just starting to exercise, do a half an hour walk to start. But do that three times a week, and then you can add time to that in 45 minutes. Listen to audio books, music, whatever. But, but we've got to move our bodies, right? And then the second component to that is prayer and meditation. I work with Christians. I work with Muslims. I work with Jews. I work with all kinds of people. Uh, and, and prayer, which is, is, is an important component. Uh, to my serenity, to my success, you know, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to convert anyone, but um, that is an important, important, uh, you know, I ask the universe for guidance in my morning prayer. And if people are weirded out by hearing prayer, I tell people here, start with a one word prayer in the morning and a one word prayer at night. In the morning, you can just look, th- look up to the sky and say, whatever. And at night you can come <laughs> home and look up to the sky and say, thanks. And there you go. That's, that's good enough for prayer. Uh, meditation is to sit still, sit still so you can quiet your mind, quiet your body so you can make healthier choices throughout the day. So number one, diet and exercise. Number two, prayer and meditation. Number three, visualization. I'm a big fan of creating vision boards and, and, and you can slap pictures Mm -hmm. and words, you can handwrite words, you can cut out words, but whatever it is you want to do in this world, you can do anything you want to do. And so I, I create these vision boards. So when I'm done meditating, I look and I read everything in, in, on my vision board. And then I'm focused for that day. Am I, am I doing the things that take me in the direction of my dreams, of the things that I'm visualizing? Things like love, mm-hmm. success. So it can be personal. It can be professional. Anything you want, slap it on your vision board. However much money you want to make next year, slap it on your vision board. So I'm a big fan of that. Again, if you say so, right? If that's what I'm focused on, that's what I'm going to get more of. That's the, the basis of the law of attraction. And then number four is gratitude and service. You know, gratitude is a huge part of, uh, of feeling uh, some peace of mind. And, and so I write a gratitude list of 10 things I'm grateful for every day. I share it in an email chain with a group of men that I work with, and they share the same back with me. And so even the day of, of, of my divorce many years ago when my wife chose to walk out on our marriage, I wrote a gratitude list. I was still able to find 10 things I was grateful for. One of the guys mm-hmm. I work with, his, his daughter died. The day his daughter died, he wrote a gratitude list of 10 things he was grateful for in spite of the most painful experience that you could have in this world, in this lifetime. Losing a child is the most painful thing. And he wrote a gratitude list because he, he knew what was important for him to not go down the drain of self-pity and victimhood for that. So uh, gratitude mm-hmm. is immensely powerful, immensely powerful in us having a little peace of mind. And then the service is the work I'm doing with my book and speaking for free and, and sharing with you and doing, you know, doing this kind of thing and just helping others without expecting anything in return. That's an important part of, uh-huh. uh, of me being successful. And then number five, lastly, um, and this is, goes to the metaphor, the train metaphor in my book is shoveling coal. Shoveling coal is the work we got to do in order to uh, achieve our dreams, right? It's the 10,000 hours. You had to put in a bunch of hours in order to become, you know, uh, a, a psychologist, right? And so it's, uh, um, you know, this is the work we have to do um, in this lifetime, you know, to, to follow our passion, to follow our dreams, you know, and, um, and that's the work, you know. So with, that, with those five steps, I mean, really, you know, that, that, that should occupy your day pretty well. And so by the end of the day, you can put your head on the pillow and feel like you did your best. And ultimately, that's yeah. really the measurement of success. And so that's how I was able to, to and I've got to watch the stories that I'll tell, because I'll still catch myself saying things. And, and, you know, Elizabeth and my fiance, she'll say, if you say so, and I'm like, damn it, she's using my words against me. <laughs> you know, so I still, I still will fall into old stories, and I'll catch myself. And, and you know, um, you just reminded me when we were talking at the break, when I was teasing you about that, <laughs> about if you say so, because when you, when you say something's going to be hard, 
right? Um, you know, uh, in, in the book I talk about uh, one of the guys that I mentor, you know, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, right? The horrible, horrible piece of news. And he got on the phone with me. He's like, James, this is going to be so hard. Now, I don't uh-huh. have multiple sclerosis. I can't even begin to dis- define what that would be like. But one of the other guys that I mentor had had MS for five years. So I called him and I said, hey, one of my guys just got diagnosed with MS. Can we come over? He said, yeah, absolutely. So we, we, I, I said, Charlie, where are you? I picked him up. We went over to my friend's kitchen. And Jack is, is my friend who is, is very active in, in, uh, in the MS world. He's an advocate. He does a ton of, ton of charity work in the MS space. And uh, I was able to introduce them. And he was able to all of a sudden see what it's like to live with MS. And Jack was able to explain to Charlie, here, I take this shot, I eat these foods, I stay away from these foods, mm-hmm. and I'm a producer, I travel all over the world, I have three beautiful daughters, you know, and, and I don't let it ruin or control my life today. And all of a sudden, in that kitchen, Charlie was able to change his story about MS. And he's like, he saw that yeah. it wasn't going to be that hard, right? Because I told him, I said, if you say it's going to be hard, it will be. You know, and I think uh-huh. we're so quick to, uh-huh. uh, doctor, we're so quick to label things in this life, right? In this world, right? We're so quick to label things and judge things as good or bad or right or wrong. And I just think there's healthy and unhealthy, really, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to our self-perception. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so really a lot of this, um, besides the five steps or well, even including the five steps, a lot, it, it, a lot of it comes down to being um, very diligent, very... Um, you know, having a lot of diligence about what what you um, are trying to do, discipline and diligence. Absolutely. We're coming to the end of the show, so you can get this book wherever books are sold. Again, the name of the book uh, is called "If You Say So: My Story and How I Changed It to Save My Life." Let me just remind everybody: my guest was James Swider, and again, his book is called "If You Say So: My Story and How I Changed It to Save My Life." And as I was saying, uh, indeed, he followed, you know, found a way through his mentors, through his mainly through his the traumas of his childhood, and finally deciding one day after uh, a failed suicide attempt that he was actually that he had to change it. He had to change his story. He couldn't just keep saying that he was unlovable and, and, uh, and broken. So, um, that is the lesson of the day that, and it's, yes, it's not easy, but certainly you can be a little more aware now when you're talking to your friend and saying such and such, or you're, uh, anybody you're talking to, or, or you're talking to yourself, um, be, especially when you're talking to yourself, don't keep saying all of these things that are negative and will and will come true if you say so. So thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 